We the Peace is a podcast sponsored by PAX, dedicated to helping Christian leaders bring peacemaking and justice into our organizations. We explore how peacemaking, activism, and the justice of God are central to discipleship. We publish teachings for leaders, resources for learners, and host interviews with frontline faith leaders about various topics. Our aim is to love the church, and we want to help you become the peace of Jesus wherever you are. Welcome, everyone, to Season 3 of We The Peace. I'm your host, Josh Buck. This is Episode 1. What is Jesus-centered theology? Whether you are a new Christian looking to understand what theology is, or you are a leader with theological training, what we believe as Christians is built on a theological foundation. It's critical as followers of Jesus to interrogate this foundation, learn about it, and think critically about it. This is what Jesus was doing in the first century among the religious establishment, and in keeping with Jesus, we're going to do this today. So here is the season breakdown. First, in this episode, we'll begin to define Jesus-centered theology. Episode two, Behind the Veil, What is Theology? We'll talk about how theology is made and ask a series of questions that help expose the challenges that are inherent in creating theology. The basic idea being that when you are handed a book that says, quote, theology, it was actually created on a foundation of assumptions and convictions. And oftentimes those are not stated in the book, especially by majority culture teachers. It's dangerous. We're going to talk about it. We will learn that all theology is contextual, that all theology grows out of a particular time and comes from a particular cultural context, that all theology is local, yet Western theology or Reformed theology is somehow considered to be objective or the objective standard by which all other theology is judged. In episode three, titled Theology in the Global Village, I hope to radically challenge your thinking on the subject of theology and tease out the implications of what it looks like for leaders who are looking to develop a Jesus-centered theology. I'm going to build on an Eastern analogy of God to show how we can adopt a global theology that liberates us from a colonial mindset. That is that the West is right. Then we will head into a series of interviews, pastors, scholars, folks that can uh, talk about this with us and, and process this with us. And I'm going to land the plane with a few final episodes moving from theory to practice and methods for a Jesus-centered theology. Here are our questions for the season. Does your theology colonize or does your theology liberate? Does it force people to see Jesus like you and force people to adopt your culture's view of God? Or does it allow people who are different than you, the nations and countries and ethnic groups, to develop their own theology as image bearers of God? The first is to colonize. The latter is to liberate, which is why Jesus came. Let me first start this episode with a story. 
There was a white Western missionary named John Elliott, who was considered to be the apostle to the Indians here in North America. He was alive from 1604 to about 1690 and lived on the East Coast of the US. He spent his life trying to bring the gospel to the Native Americans or the Indians. Elliot was reformed Puritan, European, Western dude. During this period of history, Christianity was being used as a tool of colonization. Remember that to colonize is to force people to see Jesus like you and to adopt your culture's view on who God is. It's way more than sharing the gospel or proselytizing. It's saying to, to follow Jesus is to be exactly like me. And it's imposing everything you believe about God onto others. This is what's happening in this setting with Elliot. Let me explain. As Elliot began trying to convert the Indians... They were expected to abandon their local culture for Western European customs and culture. As he converted Native Americans to Christianity, he created a separate white society for the Native Americans and often withheld Christian sacraments, baptism, communion, from converted Native Americans until they showed, quote, fruits of the Spirit that maintained a standard of, quote, civilized Western behavior. Said another way, these Indians needed to abandon their culture for Western living that Eliot considered holy and Christian. The more white they acted, the more Christian they became. Do you feel the problem with this mentality? So a Christian historian, Ruth Tucker, writes, quote, A biblical form of government based on Jethro's plan in Exodus 18.21 was set up by Eliot. The town was divided into tens, fifties, and hundreds, each division with a ruling adult male. The white man's civilization became the standard, and Christian Indians were expected to simply accept it. To Eliot, true Christianity not only changed the heart and mind, but also changed the lifestyle and culture. He could not envision a truly Christian community apart from European culture. Closed quote. This is theology that colonizes, not theology that liberates. And it begs a number of difficult questions. How do you know that someone is saved when they don't understand what the gospel means in their own culture? Are people actually accepting the God of the Bible when the Bible is being used as a tool of domination? Did the Indians actually accept the gospel when they were inviting a white-skinned, English-speaking, porridge-eating Jesus into their life? And for those that said, well, they were just a product of their time, they didn't know better. This is a bad argument. Why? Because the white folks in Europe were not requiring their kids to stop eating potatoes, learn a different language, and enter into the Old, Old Testament-tinted communities. Did you catch that? Why? Because they thought white culture was God's culture. Because they recast themselves into the place of Israel. So they weren't telling their kids, you have to learn Hebrew and we have to abandon white customs in Europe for, for 
ancient Hebrew living. No, because they considered this land in North America their promised land to be inherited by white kids on behalf of God. Colonialism became so mixed with the Bible that it became indistinguishable from it. But we white folks knew better because we didn't require our own people to abandon our own culture. So do you see this double standard? This is theology that colonizes, not theology that liberates. This is not Jesus-centered theology. And it explains for us the raw reality of the situation in the U.S. Because Christianity came to the Americas on the wave of colonization, we Western Christians have imported a theology that colonizes, forcing people to think the way we do about God and to live their faith the way we think we should as Westerners. We don't see our Western Reformed European theology as local. No, we don't see Reformed theology as its Swiss, French, Dutch theology. No, we consider it to be the way We are supposed to know God because we have learned to colonize. Our theology has become the standard by which all other theologies should be judged. We expect non-white people to adopt our theology, adopt our way of worship, evangelism, church planting models, church health movements, preaching, Western modes of theological engagement. Just like Eliot, we don't identify it as Western, just as biblical. And so we stand upon a Western Reformed theology without understanding the impact our own culture had in the formation of that theology to begin with. Are you with me? We the peace. Eliot is an example of this problem we have today. For those of you that are still in in some ways catching up to the point I'm trying to make about Eliot, or maybe you want to hear me expose the deception and the myth a little bit more, Eliot's mistakes are threefold. At least I'm going to mention three. First, Eliot expected the local Native Americans to abandon their culture almost completely in order to become a Christian. To follow God was to become more like Eliot than like Jesus. You got to become white. To follow God was to, it was as if Luke 4, 19 turned from the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It became the spirit of the Lord is upon the white man because he has appointed the white man to proclaim white Jesus for the natives, liberty to the Puritans, colonization for the natives. This is the Lord's favor on the pilgrims. That was the first incredible problem. Second, Eliot expected Native Americans to replace their local culture with Western European culture. To be Christian was to adopt Western clothes, learn English, sing hymns. This is theology that colonizes. This is not why Jesus came. This is not the message of Christ. This is exactly what Paul is speaking out against 
when Jewish folks were trying to make Gentiles become Christian through acting Jewish. Look at Galatians and Colossians. This is what we call syncretism, where the colonial agenda was so mixed up with the God of the Bible that the God of the Bible became a colonizer worried with enforcing white modes of living instead of the God of the Bible that allows us to wrestle with our own local culture. Third, Eliot failed to see that he himself was understanding scripture through his own cultural lens and enforcing his own cultural lens upon the Indians. Instead, he used theology and God as the righteous reason for enforcing Western culture on natives. From theology grows belief. Belief creates convictions. Christians then act on these convictions. Therefore, it is from this theological vantage point that Eliot went out to evangelize, translate the Bible, colonize the Indians. It is from misplaced theological conviction that Eliot used the Bible to do this. Listen, I'm not questioning hearts, motives, or whatever. Was it good that he translated the Bibles for the natives? Sure. But when the interpretation of that Bible is left to white folks who see themselves as the new Israel that is like chosen, the interpretation of the Bible for the natives is going to be bad. The gospel that Jesus proclaimed did not lord white culture over people. It wasn't even born in the Western world. So what went wrong in Eliot's theology? When the New Testament prohibits ethnocentrism, as a central duty of Christians, what went wrong in Eliot's theology? When Jesus didn't force Gentile converts into Old Testament encampments to unlearn their culture to become more what, Jewish, what, what went wrong? I'm arguing the same problem in Eliot's theology persists in our dominant cultural Christian setting today. For you, a Christian leader, does your theology colonize or liberate? Does it stand as a police over people? Or does it stand to help people wrestle with their own belief about God, their own theology, their own local culture? Does it force people to be more Western, white, more politically aligned with you? Or does it liberate those you lead? Moreover, does it liberate you from the pridefulness and the piousness of Western culture? This is an important question for this season. So I've claimed that Elia did not have a Jesus-centered theology. No, but a Western-centered theology. So let me answer the question, what do I actually mean in this season by Jesus-centered theology? There are a few ways that this could be understood, and I'm using Jesus-centered in a novel way that you might not recognize. There are a few Jesus-centered movements that exist in the early parts of the 21st century that have been gaining steam from a long time, it's, and they've come from different interpretive traditions that go back. First, we have the gospel-centered movement that has developed in more reform spaces in the last uh, however many years sought to understand the entire Bible through the person and work of Jesus. It's not novel to this group. 
But they look at Luke 24 and the road to Emmaus as a key text that helps us see Christ and the prophets and the Old Testament stories. This gospel-centered, Jesus-centered group is looking to combat moralism by seeing the good news of Jesus in the entire Bible, always pointing to the person and work of Jesus. That's group one. Though I wholeheartedly agree with this approach and find myself a part of this movement, that's not what I mean by Jesus-centered. So that's group one. The second group that is Jesus-centered is looking to recover the historical Jesus as the blueprint for Christian living and Christian ethics. So to be Jesus-centered in this sense is to claim that Jesus isn't just our Savior, but also our teacher and leader. We are called to follow Jesus, be like Jesus, be conformed to the image of Christ, allow the liberating and counter-violent cross of Christ to shape our very lives. Practically, This group will take the Sermon on the Mount seriously and allow Christian ethics to be shaped through Jesus. This group would challenge uh, beliefs, Christian beliefs and theological systems that diminish how radical Jesus is. So like the first view, I couldn't agree more with this camp. We have to take Jesus more seriously and not diminish uh, Jesus's work, not only as Savior, but our teacher and our leader. I'd I'd encourage you to check out the foundations documents at madeforpacks.org if you want to learn more about this view. So I hold to these two positions. The first one, everything should point to Jesus. Second group, looking to allow Jesus to shape our lives, not just save us. So what do I mean by Jesus-centered theology? There's a really wonderful verse in the book of Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians 3.11, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. He says, verse 9 through 11, quote, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. I'm going to key in on the phrase, Christ is all and in all. So in the book of Colossians, Paul has established that all things, including humans, have been created by Christ. Chapter 1, 16 In Colossians 3.10, we learn that we are all called as Christians to be renewed according to the image of our creator, which is Jesus. Our bodies, hearts, minds, motives, and cultures are called to be renewed and brought into alignment with King Jesus. Then in verse 11, Paul lists out a bunch of socioeconomic, ethnic, and religious divisions that the gospel has overcome. Paul isn't saying that ethnicity isn't important, like some strange people have argued, but he is saying that through Christ, we are all united under Jesus, irrespective of the God-given and empire-given social categories. Then Paul ends verse 11 by saying something incredible. He says, but Christ is all and in all. This is a profound statement. So we not only have been created by Christ, 116, Christ is to be lauded and worshiped above all other created things, 115 through 20. We are called to be conformed to the very image of Christ, 310. We also learn that the image of Christ is reflected throughout 
all humans who follow Jesus. So here is the logical formula for what I'm saying in this season. One, all humans have been made in the image of God. Two, Christians are called to reflect the image of Christ, our creator. Three, all humans reflect Christ differently based on the culture that God has given us. Four, therefore, Christians from all over the world should reflect the image of Christ through their unique theological expressions. Wow, theology is mediated through the Bible, tradition, experience, history. Each people group should discover for themselves with the power of the Holy Spirit what it means to follow Jesus. A part of this is creating theology. Let me put this in concrete terms for dominant culture Christians like myself. This same license we have given ourselves to develop local theology from Switzerland and Germany, we must afford the rest of the world, the nations. We must give the same space to develop different local theologies as image bearers of God. If Christ is all and is in all, and God has dignified people from all over the world in their local culture and situation, we can't just say Western theology is the way to view God. That is oppressive, that is vindictive, that is domineering, that is a colonial mindset. We can't keep imposing a reformed Western lens on people of color and other cultures. Enough is enough. So to do this, to embrace this, is to overcome a theology that colonizes, to replace it with Jesus-centered theology that liberates us to learn about God from the nations. This is the aim of the season. Questions for leaders. In what way have you imposed your own culture on the people you lead? What is the impact of your own culture on your reading of the text. Where did your theology come from? It was local to somewhere. Can you pinpoint where it came from? What might be the blind spots of that theology? A book to read, I would encourage you to pick up Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys by the late Richard Twist, a Native American expression of the way of Jesus. This season is completely indebted to his leadership and those he has led among. Thank you for listening to this podcast, We the Peace. You can find more resources at madeforpax.org and you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at PAX. This is We the Peace. 